Well, tonight we're going to read John 18, 28 to 40. John draws a number of significant contrasts in this chapter. Pastor Greg this morning talked about Peter, who was not able to stand up to pressure as compared to Jesus, who followed God's will all the way through. This evening, we're taking a little bit of a, um, you could call it a bigger approach to things, and we're looking at how Jesus compares and interacts with the religious and the political powers of his time. Let's read John 18, 28 to 40. Then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, the Jews objected. This happened so that the words Jesus had spoken indicating the kind of death he was going to die would be fulfilled. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it that you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. This is the word of the Lord for us this evening. When we were in Africa, we did a, we did a lot of long-distance traveling. And there was one particular trip where I was going with another missionary, a Nigerian driver, and we were hauling a big load of furniture and some other missionary stuff in our large, large truck. And we got stopped on the way by a number of government officials. Now, these guys belonged to what was called the Vehicle Inspection Office. So their official job was to inspect vehicles on the road, make sure that people had paid their fees, make sure the vehicles were safe, make sure you were following all the relevant road rules. But it quickly became evident at this stop that it wasn't really about vehicle inspection so much as about revenue collection. Or to put it another way, they really didn't care what condition our vehicle was in. What they were worried about was what condition their wallet was in. Now, the word bribe was never spoken, but there were quite a number of hints that just handing over some cash would make this whole process go an awful lot faster. So we argued about the rules of the road. We discussed their obligations as government employees. We pointed out we were there to help people. We asked what the right thing to do was, and we got nowhere. It didn't matter what the laws were. It didn't matter what the right thing to do was. What mattered was that they had the uniforms, 
They had the power on the road, and they were going to get their way. So after we had a long discussion, we ended up paying a fine because one of our taillights was incorrectly installed. And then we went on our way. Now, in a system, in an agency that was designed to keep people safe and to enforce the rules of the road, justice and righteousness had gone right out the window in favor of self-interest and small-scale abuses of power. Now, it's on a whole different level, but in our text for today, we should expect to see righteousness and justice. But instead, we see the best religious and political powers of the day co-opted all twisted and bent up into serving their own interests. So our text for today has three scenes, and we'll work through each of them in turn. First, there's a scene outside Pilate's palace, then inside the palace, and then outside the palace again. Now, in the first scene, the high priests have decided to do away with Jesus, but at that time, the Jewish people weren't allowed to execute anyone without Roman approval. So they brought Jesus over to the Roman governor to get permission to have an execution. But... The relationship between the Jewish religious leaders and the Roman governor of Israel was what you might call a difficult relationship. Facebook has this relationship status thing that you can say you're single, you're in a relationship, you're married, you're engaged, and one of the things they have is it's complicated. Now, I don't know about what you've seen on Facebook, but any time I saw someone put it's complicated up, I knew there was trouble. And from there, things usually did not go well, one way or another. Well, the Jewish religious leaders in Pilate have a relationship that we could say was complicated. The Jews really didn't like having the Romans in their land. They really thought they should be in charge of their own destiny. And so they really didn't like the Roman governors who ruled over them and told them what to do. But at the same time, the religious leaders depended on the Romans for some of their power, some of their prestige. On the other side of the equation, the Romans really didn't have much use at all for the Jews, but their land was at the crossroads of a whole bunch of ancient trading and travel routes, so the Romans needed control of that area. So this meant, on the one hand, that the Romans had to work with the Jews. But it also meant that the Romans were going to keep order in that country no matter what it took, even if it meant mass murder. Now, other Roman governors had been a bit willing to work with the people, but Pilate just wasn't good with people. There are all kinds of stories about Pilate doing everything from stealing from the temple treasury to putting graven images up in Jerusalem to having people beaten up or even killed. These stories just go on and on and on. So these two powers, the religious leaders and the political leaders, are always they're working at cross-purposes. They squabble over everything, and their squabbles pretty regularly turned into violent encounters. So all of these dynamics are swirling in the background as these Jewish leaders come to Pilate's palace this morning to get him to agree to have Jesus executed. Now, Roman governors usually would hear cases every day from about 6 in the morning till about noon. So this is probably the beginning of Pilate's regular workday. But then this group, this mob of Jewish people show up just as Pilate is starting to hear cases. This mob shoves themselves to the front of the line and demands that he hear their case first, but they refuse to actually go into the palace, into his courtroom. Instead, they make him come out. They want a favor from him. They want him to rubber stamp an execution, but they won't even go in his door. So Pilate comes out to the Jewish mob. And as a general rule, um, local authorities weren't allowed to execute people. But often, if the local leaders went to a Roman governor, kind of 
on the sly and said, hey, we'd really like to kill this person. As long as it was a non-Roman citizen, often the Roman governor would just say, yeah, sure, go for it. But Pilate, in this case, apparently decides to be difficult. Instead of rubber stamping the proceedings, he begins a formal inquiry. When Pilate asks, what charge are you bringing against this man? He's making a formal legal statement. This is a judge asking the prosecution to say what the defendant is being charged with. Now, the Jews had apparently expected Pilate just to rubber stamp their request and let them do whatever they wanted, so they're stuck without anything to charge Jesus with. So they probably would have kind of shuffled their feet. There would have been some whispering in the background, some elbowing. You say something. You say something. And then, um, well, uh, mm, uh, yeah, that's right. He's a criminal. We wouldn't have brought you to him if he wasn't. We wouldn't have brought him to you if he wasn't guilty of something, right? Yeah, he's a criminal. Now, obviously, saying someone is a criminal isn't a very specific charge. So you can imagine Pilate putting his face in his hands, maybe taking a deep breath, and then saying in exasperation, why are you guys all worked up about this? If you can't even figure out a charge, why are you wasting my time? Get out of my face. Deal with him yourself. Now, there's a lot of irony in this part of John chapter 18, but it comes to a head at the end of verse 31 when the Jews say, but we have no right to execute anyone. Another way you could say this is it is unlawful for us to execute someone. For us to execute someone is out of the bounds of the law. Now, literally what the Jewish leaders are saying is we don't have the legal authority in Roman law to kill anybody. But their statement has the deeper meaning that what they're trying to do fails to measure up to God's holy and perfect law, to the Torah that he had given the Jewish people in the Old Testament, and that was supposed to shape their life. These Jewish leaders should have been the shining religious light of their time. God had been working with their people for centuries upon centuries upon centuries, shaping them, giving them instruction about how to live rightly and righteously. These guys should have been able to recite the finer points of the law and also able to understand and to practice its spirit. But all of that religious education and religious formation doesn't end up making any difference at all. Over time, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people had fallen more and more away from the instruction that God had given and its spirit, and they descended more and more into the realm of human power and privilege. Instead of seeking salvation and new life in God's instructions, The Jews had come to define salvation in terms of their own religious efforts and their own religious expertise. Just like it happened in this story, the best of human religious efforts often end up forsaking holiness, leaving aside righteousness, and dropping truth in favor of pursuing personal power, privilege, and preference. Apart from the work of God, religion always is in danger of becoming manipulative and oppressive. False religion is really bad medicine. And in fact, part of the curse, part of the burden that humanity has shouldered ever since the fall is false religion. Sin bends and twists all the parts of our life, and religion is no exception to that. That's what we mean when we talk about total depravity, not that everybody is as bad as they possibly could be all the time, But instead we mean that sin has sneaked into every single part of human existence. 
and even the most important things in life, even our relationship with the divine, even our religion is capable of being bent and twisted to serving terrible ends. But in his suffering and death, Jesus shouldered the curse of false religion. Jesus' condemnation by false religious leaders is part of him being able to bear the curse and set us free from false ways of relating to the true Lord and God. Jesus himself took on our alienation from God. He himself took on the curse that affected even this most significant area of human life. Jesus was condemned by the very religious leaders who should have most clearly seen what he was up to and who should have been behind him all the way. These men should have been thrilled to receive Jesus as the ultimate example of right living, of righteousness, of holiness, and of hope for what religion could be. But instead, the religious leaders turned away from the truth and they set out to maintain their own power. False religion has this pervasive power to move the spotlight from God's covenant faithfulness and our response to that and instead put the spotlight on what we do as humans and what we can do to justify ourselves and to serve our self-interests. In this text, the great religious powers of the world see God at work in their midst and they do everything they can to squash God's work. And when the focus shifts from the religious sphere to the political sphere, the results are much the same. In our text, when Pilate realizes that the Jews are after the death penalty, he gets a bit more serious. So he goes back into the palace, and he has Jesus brought inside. And it seems like somewhere along the way, someone whispers in Pilate's ear that Jesus is a revolutionary who's out to overthrow the Romans. And that's gotten Pilate's political radar all lit up. He wants to know if Jesus is yet another Jewish revolutionary. Yet another troublemaker who's going to start another Jewish rebellion that Pilate is going to have to deal with yet again. And so Pilate lays a formal charge on Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? Now it seems like Pilate might almost be bored at this point. He just wants to know if Jesus is a political threat or not. And if he is a political threat, he'll be executed. If he isn't, Pilate doesn't care what happens to him. Well, Jesus and Pilate go back and forth a little bit, and then finally Jesus offers this defense. You are saying that I'm a king. For this reason I was born, for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. This is Jesus' defense before Pilate. I am a new kind of king, and I come to witness to the truth. Now, Pilate at this point is representing one of the greatest legal and political systems of the ancient world. If we could look anywhere at that time for justice, we might expect it to be that we would look for someone like Pilate. A Roman governor, a man charged with handing out justice dozens or even hundreds of times in a week. This is where we could expect to look for political, political power in service of justice and in service of truth. But Pilate doesn't want any part of that nonsense. He doesn't care about justice. He has no interest in the truth. All Pilate is interested in is his political power. Pilate has no interest. He doesn't care at all about the power of truth. What Pilate is interested in is the truth of power. And that truth is that Pilate will do anything he has to to keep himself in power. 
So Pilate snorts at Jesus, what is truth? And he stomps back outside. All political systems eventually break down. As Americans, we are tremendously privileged to live in a place that has one of the best legal and political systems that the world has ever seen. But still, even our system has all kinds of breakdowns in it. One of the elements of the American dream or of American mythology, if you will, is that if we can just get everybody to do things the right way and to do things our way, we can remake the world and we can have things work right this time. There's something tremendously American about saying, if we just work on this for a bit, we can fix all the world's problems and make everything right. And in many ways, political systems, and ours in particular, does a lot of good in the world. But in just as many ways, political systems go terribly, terribly wrong. Almost inevitably, political parties and political systems become focused on developing, maintaining, and increasing their own power. Any interest in justice, in truth, in mercy, all of those things end up getting run over by the train of political maneuvering and power plays. When Jesus stood before Pilate, God's own truth said to the political powers of the world, I am a witness to truth. And the political powers of the world snorted in disgust and stomped out the door. And so we come to the third scene in our text. Pilate at this point has realized that Jesus, is, he isn't some kind of revolutionary who's going to overthrow Roman rule. Pilate doesn't really understand or care what Jesus is talking about, but he knows he's not going to be trouble. So Pilate goes back out to the Jews and says, I find no basis for a charge against this man. Pilate is rendering a legal verdict of not guilty. But instead of saying not guilty, he can go free, Pilate decides to make a game out of it. He goes out, and it's almost like he's mocking the Jews. There's nothing wrong with this man, this king of the Jews. He's harmless. He's powerless. Do you Jews want your powerless king back? Pilate mocks the Jews. He twists the knife of their squabbles one more time. And predictably, the Jews don't respond real well to this. Forget it, they say. We don't want Jesus. Give us someone else. Give us Barabbas. Don't give us our king Give us this guy who's taken part in a rebellion, who's a murderer. That's the one we want. The Jews don't want the true king. They just want some, some guy, some troublemaker. At this point in the text, on the surface, it seems like Jesus has become just a pawn in the religious and political games of his time. The religious system of the Jews has broken down into a call for blood. They're demanding a sacrifice, and not a sacrifice to God, not a sacrifice for righteousness, but instead a sacrifice to maintain their own power, to shore up their false religion. And the legal system of the Romans has broken down into political maneuvering. Pilate really doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care at all about truth. He just wants to keep things calm and maintain his own power. In this text and in our world, the religious and political systems of the world are ultimately bankrupt. They can't and they don't want to promote righteousness or justice or truth. They're malicious, they're petty, and they're self-serving. But on a deeper level, if on the surface level Jesus is standing in front of the religious and the political leaders and he's on trial and he's being declared guilty ultimately, on a deeper level Jesus is sitting in judgment on the system of the world. The reality of this chapter is that Jesus is the judge 
and it's the world that's on trial. The religious leaders, Pilate, and all the powers of the world, well, this is a clash between them and Jesus, the true king. And the world is clearly guilty. Even the best the world of that time had to offer had broken down into self-serving greed. But instead of sentencing the world to punishment and destruction, at the end of this trial, Jesus, the judge and king of the world, takes on himself the consequences of all of our sin and all of the broken systems of the world. Ultimately, Jesus himself experiences the judgment that the whole world deserves. God the judge in the person of Jesus would have been justified in declaring the whole world guilty. God the king would have been entirely within his rights to wipe the whole world out. But instead, God the king humbled himself, came into the world, and bore witness to the truth, no matter what it cost him. And that truth ultimately changes the world. The truth is that we are all under a curse. The truth is that our religion and our political power will never be enough to save the world. When we as humans set out to save ourselves by any means, we always end up deceived and enslaved. But the greater and deeper truth is that Jesus came into the world to save all of us. The truth is that Jesus was convicted for our sins. The truth is that Jesus took our curse upon himself. The truth is that Jesus suffered and died to set us free. 